Ladles and Jelly Spoons. Thanks for joining us. Truth, love, and peace. This is episode number 14. I am here with JJ Curry. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, we are going to start firing up the Facebook Live and all that good stuff while we line this up. And we are sitting at, where are we again? This is the Days Inn. Yeah. On the corner of Palafox and Cervantes. It's cold as fuck at this window. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we start talking about UFOs, okay. we'll need some, some, some AC. Some AC. Truth, Love, and Peace 14 with JJ Kerr. It didn't ask me to tag you. We'll do that later. TLB 14 with JJ Kerr. No. Jaquavius. Yeah. So, make Classy sure we get man. a good audio. Looks like we do. We've got good audio. So, we hit record there. We can upload that to Facebook later. Not Facebook, YouTube. And... Oh, since I am not Mr. DeVille, <laughs> but close-ups are prepared. All right. Does that meet your approval? Oh, hey, me. <laughs> All right, so we're on camera. Everything is, is live and recording and copacetic, and we even have a viewer. Uh, we had a viewer. That's not you hate it when that happens. <laughs> on and off. I know, they accidentally clicked on it. They didn't mean to. Yeah. So you get to see who pop up first, because I've been doing that a lot on Facebook Live, yeah. and I don't want nobody thinking I'm one of their fans or not. He <laughs> always oh, watch my shit. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, don't, man. Just <laughs> I just have to tap it to get it off my screen. I'm just trying screen. to get it off my screen, bro. I'm trying to get this notification for you. I'm trying to get these booty calls. <laughs> Other things to worry about? No, man. For reals. Uh, so we were talking about the UFOs and okay. the rockets that land themselves now. But have you seen the video where the um, the pilot gets the video of the, this thing? And they, they, they admitted that they've had for six years this UFO group in the CIA like undercover keeping tabs on I'm looking into shit they think I'm just this is why I'm thinking about the government okay I yeah. figured the government is like yo we messed up put Donald Trump in office if we don't kill this man off he gonna tell all our secrets it would be wrong for us to kill him off so therefore we might always spell all our secrets I'm telling you we're gonna find out about Area 51 soon <laughs> is there anything left in Area 51? Um, we're going to find out what happened. We're gonna, Area Goku's going to come out of Area 51. Just. <laughs> I've been here the whole time. They've been there. <laughs> <laughs> They've been writing anime. This is my life stories here, guys. This is, this is the end of Dragon Ball Z Super. I show up in the, I show up on this earth. <laughs> out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. It's just, just on a Thursday. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I'm on Universe 7. <laughs> So aside from uh, from the latest conspiracy theories, uh, I met you as a stand-up comedian here in Pensacola. How long have you been doing stand-up? Oh man, I've been on comedy, stand-up comedy five years, April first. Yeah? Yeah. You seem like you've been doing a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, man, I'm just uh, I just I've been watching I love comedy as a kid. I never wanted to be a comedian. Really? <laughs> yeah, that was completely out of the blue. I uh, never thought I was funny enough to be a comedian that should tell jokes, <laughs> but I love comedy. That was like one of the few things like I watched as a kid. It was Power Rangers, Ninja Turtles, and stand-up comedy videos. A bunch of Def Jam oh, yeah. is comedy view, man. 
Def Jam and Couch Potatoes. Was that the first one, Def Jam? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. My first one was on a cassette tape. It was uh, the very first one I ever remember watching. I watched it like 200,000 times. It was the, it was the one with uh, Def Comedy Jam. Martin Lawrence was the host. The, uh, Chris Tucker was the first person up. The next two comedians did a good job. They did okay. But then they asked the one with the infinite Bernie Mac. I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. And from that point on, man, I'm like seven, eight years old watching this, and I ain't enjoyed it from the time I watch it now to the time I watch it then. It was literally the first set I ever learned was between yeah. the Brain <laughs> Mac and the Chris Tucker. Uh, but it was like, I know how to do these jokes. And it was just. It's like I knew him. That's awesome. Man. Did you perform him for anybody or just no, yourself? No, 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 no. Like my friends and family and stuff. Yeah. Like they were like, oh, tell that Chris Tucker joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, um, what was it? Uh, earlier this year, back in February, we did. Uh, I was I was one of the half of the one of the two hosts for the comedian power that we used to have in on Fort Walton Beach mm-hmm. between me and uh, Drew Wayne, and uh, we was actually on the show. And the first. The first, the way the concept of the show worked, it was joke for joke, shot for shot. So the first two minutes of the show, you know, you do you two, you were two comedians, we battling against each other. Mm-hmm. You do two minutes of material, then we take a shot together. Then I do two minutes of material, we take a shot together, and this go on for an hour. Well, occasionally we have what we call the challenge round. The first challenge is always a biter set, always a biter set. So you had to do a material or somebody else stuff. And when I finally got the chance, I did both Bernie Mac and Chris Tucker <laughs> in under two minutes. And it was just it was just one of those things. Did it kill? I mean, they laughed. Yeah. <laughs> they, went, they went like, I, they killed it because I was doing it. They just killed yeah. it because it was great material. I think I did a great, not great impersonation. I mean, they laughed at it. It was like, yo, I didn't think you actually had it. It was like, yeah, I could have been better. You know what I'm yeah. saying? They went like, I was been practicing it for years and stuff. I was like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I can see that going horribly wrong, though, too. It could. Like, trying to do somebody else's stuff and it, it just could. being like, Because you're trying to find their demeanor. Yeah. And stuff like that. Because without it, that doesn't work. Yeah, right? you got to have their mindset and the way they, they not their mindset, but the way they was on stage. So if you, if I was, luckily, I'm such a huge fan of them. I've watched it like a thousand times. So like I'll snap it today. Like Chris Tucker, oh, what if Michael Jackson was a pimp? Like, <laughs> he was questionable. <laughs> oh, no, Macaulay Culkin says he's got something to talk about. Oh, I really? I read the stories. Oh, Macaulay, he probably got touched. I don't know. That's what you get for me home alone, man. <laughs> good, man. Yeah. Parents, don't don't, uh, don't ruin your kids. What's well, the home alone? It's a Caucasian thing. Uh, <laughs> I've been staying home alone for a long time. I never had anybody try to rob me. That was that was because you don't know, respect rule number one. Don't open the door yeah. for anybody except for me. <laughs> yep. Yep. Damn kids, man. Damn kids. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I can remember we used to run around... And uh, we're we're left to our own devices, man. Yeah, yeah. 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 Where <laughs> you from? I grew up in Mobile. Oh, so you, yeah. okay? See, I'm from a small town. Originally, I'm from this small town called Danville, Georgia, and then we moved into a bigger, slightly bigger town named Dudley. And was, how big was Dudley? Oh, um, we had a red light. You a and, whole red light and two stores. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. But we was on the outskirts of the biggest, the big, the city that was Dublin. So it was like a five minute drive from Dublin. So That's not too bad though. It That's like bad. suburbs. Yeah, that's even better than the suburbs. When I lived in Cincinnati, hell, you were a half hour from downtown. Right? Yeah, no, no, no. We lived there. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's convenient. And then my house was like the central spot for all my friends and stuff. So all my friends always came to my house. And my mom was a single mother who worked, who worked all the time, so she had one rule: uh, make sure my house was clean. 
when I got home. So no matter what, all my homeboys would all wake up. Like, we'll be like 10 o'clock at night. We'll be like, all right, it's time to clean up. <laughs> and we'll all just clean up. And she was like, all right. She's like, hey, y'all. And just go on our way. So, yeah. How crazy did the parties get with that? I didn't know. You know what? Because we had more rules than that. And it got weird. We, You know what's crazy is the fact that, like, I still managed to go to other people's houses and stuff. Yeah. So we really didn't throw parties at my house because everybody knew. Like, this was just, like, the one thing we couldn't mess up. <laughs> so oh, yeah. it was like, yo, when we get out of school, we go to JJ's house. When we, during the summer, we spent all summer at JJ's house. So it was like, we're not going to mess this up. The good thing was the, the few things that we have done, I have done some outrageous stuff. We threw a, um, a uh, high-and-go-seat party mm-hmm. one time because my house was right next to this elementary school and stuff, mm-hmm. and we literally just decided to have a play high-and-go-seat with a bunch of, like, high school kids. <laughs> like, we're talking about 10th, 11th, 12th graders. Like, it was at the pet rally telling people come to a holiday party. Like, we grabbed the microphone and say, you might want to come to this high-and-go-seat party. We had, a, like, it wasn't a big school, but we had about, we probably had about a, maybe a hundred some kids out there. <laughs> we played. For a game of oh yeah, playing I go see, and we it started off with yo. We got five people running all tagging people. It was a good. That was a great night. <laughs> so, I bet. Yeah, but it, that would be the like the worst, worst occasion and stuff like that. Yeah. Like we just have like one big. And I was just always the I wasn't super popular, but people know. Like people knew. To this day, people still know where my mama lived at. I just went to JJ house. Like I just always been to. Oh, you want to go what? Yeah, just go to JJ house. <laughs> nice. That's how it was, man. That's awesome. I uh. Yeah, we. I was in the band, so I guess that should explain it. Like, you know, band parties? It was, I was cool with people. That's another thing. That, like, I was just, I was a weird kid. Yeah. So I was the one that was cool with the popular kids. And I played sports. I was in there with the sports people. But I was just as fine with the group. I can go in and have a full conversation with people that was in the band, the nerds and stuff. Like, we had this one kid who was, like, three years younger than all the rest of us. His name was, I ain't going to say his name. I don't know how that works. genius. Like, yeah, he was a genius, right? Dude love animes and stuff like that, man. We just kept it cool, man. Like, yeah. and one somebody tried to bully him one time. I was mm-hmm. like, nah, man, you can't can't talk about him. It's Mary, man. But it's my boy. You can't talk about him. Right. So I was the guy that bullied bullies. That was on. Um, Good. That was, that's about as far as my comedian skill was in high school. Though. Like people knew I was funny. How did but that it, come about? The the me being funny or the no the you being a, the bully's bully first. It was more like. Uh, <laughs> When you see people, we usually call it Jonah, so that's when you start cracking jokes on people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for some day, like one day, it started off when everybody started doing it. They were like, oh, we're going to go talk to everybody. And eventually, I noticed that people just stopped talking about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was like, why? And I was like, man, I'm getting, I'm getting my classes while nobody trying to like crack jokes on me anymore. And then apparently, I heard it was like, yo, JJ's cutthroat. <laughs> you will not survive. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, okay. And then, so it was like, in order for me, like, and they were just like, people just normally just leave me alone. They were like, I'm not gonna even step into this arena with you. I was like, all right, cool, that's whatever. Now, I ain't never think I was a good roaster or anything like that. I'm yeah. never being considered, I never consider myself a roaster. I just tell you, if you wanna go, let's go. But just know that I'm gonna say the first thing to pop in my head. <laughs> yeah. And um, when Gary and stuff get put on, I was like, nah, man, what you doing talking about? Like, it was just like one of those, what you doing, man? Talk about somebody that actually, and then eventually they just shut up. <laughs> so I was like, all right, man. <laughs> Most people have no follow-up. Yeah, no. Like, no. they don't. They, they don't. They never come prepared for it. So it's just, 
I don't mean you can't be prepared for it, but at the same day, it's like, yo, if you if you're not ready to get jokes told on about you, don't tell jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So was you said that that had to do with you becoming a comedian or, or starting to be funny? Was it because you built up a repertoire of of follow-ups, or because of the situation, or uh, how how did those two things come together? It was uh, so uh, man, it's weird. Growing up, man, I just always been that kid that was like, didn't really care. Like, mm-hmm. in sports, like, they was like, man, my friends like, do you so much more athletic than what you put on? I'm like, yeah, man, I ain't got health insurance. Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know how that's school. My mom told me if I break my leg, that's pretty much going to be it. And I just, <laughs> it was just like, uh, I just, I, ain't, I was just one of those, man, those kids that was just like, I just saw it as it is, man. I yeah. told people as it is. And people thought that was funny because they were like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. And I'm like, but I'm being dead serious. Right. And then the joning on people and stuff like that, that was just because, like, I don't like the fact that, like, you like, you think you're funny, but let's let's see. Let's go joke for joke. Let's right. see how it goes. And then I joined the military, and I started living life. <laughs> when did you join the military? I joined the military right after high school. Like, I literally graduated high school, and a month later, I was in basic training. Like, I got spent my last, I was I joined the military at 19. I just went traveling around, doing things, meeting people and stuff. And then the whole reason why all this came over to comedy is because as soon as I got stationed here at Herbert Field, I spent the first three weeks, you know what I'm saying, getting it acclimated to the area, getting you know, clean off and start my first day of work. And then literally my first day at work, I left work because I was sick. I had a headache and fever. And I walked to the hospital and I walked out three months later, a week before my birthday. And that literally changed my entire life. Like I, had yeah. a, I was on my deathbed. I learned how to walk again. It was the most intense time of my life. There was no joy in anything. And then when people re-met me again, they was like, yo, we heard you the sick kid. You the kid that was dying. What was going on? And then I would start telling them stories. Yeah. And those stories made them laugh way more than anything else. And that's how it led to, tell us more stuff about you. Tell us more stories about you. And I was like, okay. And finally one of my friends was like, yo, you're funny. You should do comedy. And, I was, and for years, he tried to convince me to do stand-up. Yeah. Like from 20 to like, I started doing stand-up right before my 22nd birthday. For like a legit year. He spent his entire time trying to convince me to do stand-up. And... One day I was like, yo, if I ever meet a comedian, man, I'm drunk. So I was like, if I ever meet a comedian, man, I'll do stand-up for you. And the very next day, <laughs> I met a guy who was comedy in Destin. Yeah. And it was just April 1st. Got on stage, and I was like, that was easy. <laughs> I was nice. like, this is fun. And I haven't got off ever since. Never took a break or none of that. Well, it's funny that you mentioned uh, the storytelling being your end, because... Uh, that connects a couple of dots from watching some of your some of your performances because you uh, and we've discussed uh, your style of storytelling and, and that you are very good at it. Thank you. You have a, have a great cadence, tempo. Like what little I know about comedy, but but what I do know about being a public speaker is, is your style is very captivating and you tell a great story. So it's working, Mama. Yeah, so those dots come come together. You know. <laughs> Thank that's, you, man. That's awesome. Do you think about the way that you tell stories? When, um, when you're telling them or when you're I, putting them together? I tell them how I see them. From so, the way, like how you see it from before it happened, after it happened? Oh, as I'm, even, as I'm telling the story, like, I, like I, mm-hmm. it's, it's, to me, it's like painting a movie. 
<laughs> now I'm like, this is a scene in the movie that I want you to understand. Yeah. So I understand that it doesn't matter if I tell you that the carpet is red or the drapes are blue. Mm-hmm. But if I tell you the key details, the, he came out, the room was full of candle lit can- candles in the room and this potpourri spring over the floor. That is more than enough visual that you have to have for this room. Like, you know, it's a room, right. it got four walls, it got a door, but these are the key initials that you have here. And however you picture it is what you picture it. Yeah. But I'm the only there to tell you the key points. Mm-hmm. And that's how I picture to tell a story. Like the way you see the joke and the same way I see the joke. Mm-hmm. But as long as we get to the same goal line, that's all that matters. Yeah. Do you remember do you remember anybody ever teaching you that in particular? No. Um Did you I have a got, story mentor? Actually, no, no, no. I actually got told the very first show I ever did um, like big show where I actually opened up for like a comedian actually been on TV and stuff mm-hmm. um, he came with it the first time he met me he didn't even speak to me like he he literally walked inside the room I was, so I'm talking to the host of the night the dude they even put me on the show the guy came in and he was like what's up what's like going on he's like hey, this is the opener at right here and it's like okay cool he said hey how you doing and then he left me alone and it's like yo another guy that the guy that came it was four comedians the guy that's from jacksonville and two of them that been on tv been traveling got some og status okay the guy from jacksonville was, was known at the time the hottest dude in florida <laughs> so i'm like and here i am this is my first big show like wow. this is my first one I'm like oh okay and then um <clears throat> He was like, don't worry about it. He, people get like that again in the head, which I can understand because I'm a headphone person. And, you know, I need at least 10, 20 minutes to just listen to some music to get myself settled down and calm down for the show. So I understand that. So when I got up there and did my set, I did uh, my joke. I don't know if you guys heard it, but ain't nobody gay joke. So this is my first time really, like, giving it out to a real crowd, telling mm-hmm. that story. And when I got off stage, man, the comedians was like, yo, that was incredible. I never even thought you was like you put the NG on booth and then the headliner came up to me he was like how old are you at the time it was like 22 23 and he was like yo you're way too young to be able to tell stories as well and he was like that's good man you keep it up you keep on doing what you're doing so ever since then man i was like oh, i guess my story tell me i'm doing it i'm leaving it like that just being my natural self i'm not changing it for any way else so yeah that's awesome that's that's a that's a great introduction to it, man. <laughs> yeah. To, to get out there and, and lay it down. Uh, I, it was I rough, guess, though. <laughs> rough. Why was it rough? A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of bombing in the beginning, man. A lot of bombing, bro. And it was like, and then the dude that actually put me on the shows and stuff, man, he's left me out there to hang a lot of times. So mm-hmm. I, and honestly, that's, that sounds real messed up. But like, it was like the best thing he can possibly do. Yeah. yeah, it was the best thing. Experience. Oh yeah, because I I needed that burn. I needed yeah. those. I needed those dead moments, and so I can remember those forever. I was like, all right, okay, I got you, I got you. And then we finally did one show, the last show we did together. Yeah, I got it. I had a great time. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah, I remember um, this one. So I got to tell it for me. But if you want to share it, I gotta, please do because uh, it's funny. I got a standing ovation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got told. I was told it was great. Um, the guy that went after me was shaking. Was shaking. <laughs> Dude, how, 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 how do I even follow that? Standing ovation. That guy had to follow yeah. you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, so sick. Like, how do how do how do how do, how do, how do, how do you even follow that? Like you can't. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs>
can't, son. That's awesome. That was a great show. That's awesome. YouTube, JJ Curry at LA Lounge. <laughs> yeah, JJ Curry at, at LA Lounge. At LA Lounge. At seven minutes of that twenty of that twenty minutes that I did on that stage and I was cutting it loose. <laughs> like, nice. Oh man. It was beautiful. One of the funnest times ever on stage, man. It was about it was a good chunk of people out there. It was great. How long have you been doing comedy at that point? <sighs> Three years. That was the best year of my life, too. Yeah. That year, that was the year I decided to start taking it serious. So, actually, that, that same story that I was just telling about the, mm -hmm. the guy that met me, that was the very first show I did that year. And the show I did with the same ovation was the last show I did that year. <laughs> it was a great year. A lot of growth. <laughs> a lot of growth. A lot of growth. A lot of growth. That's awesome. Uh, I, the word storytelling just keeps running through my mind. And that's one of the things, one of the reasons that I do this and call it truth, love, and peace is because it has everything to do with my story. And I've studied storytelling for a long time uh, through myth and mythology with guys like Joseph Campbell and history, historically. But one of the things that I've learned about storytelling from you is um, how to own an economy of words. Like, it's one thing to be able, for me to be able to say something short, you know, succinctly. But the way that you take four or five descriptive words and, and they're just so obviously yours. Like what I was saying earlier when I was talking about not being able to do somebody else's bit, mm -hmm. I, I don't think I could own your words the way that, that maybe someone else's words could be owned. I don't, I think it's awesome how, how efficiently you can convey your originality, your point of view, which is fucking awesome. And that's the reason that I asked about the storytelling because it's, it's amazing. I think storytelling has a big part of who we are as human beings, and that's one of the reasons I think all that ties together. And when it, when it comes to storytelling, man, and comedy, I feel like they go hand in hand because you have comedians that can tell a lot of jokes, a lot of one-liners and stuff. Mm -hmm. But like you're laughing, that's always great. But when you get somebody's stories and they tell you stories, you get a person, you get to see how they are and what they are, and they let you know that oh, these person are just a regular person. They feel the same way I feel, mm -hmm. and that's why when I tell my stories and I tell stories on stage, it's literally like I want you to understand. Like you can get mad. I have people getting mad at me at shows after shows because I said certain things. But I'm like, you gotta understand where I'm coming from. Like if you don't know who I am, and then how do how do you expect to? How do you expect to understand the grasp of what I'm trying to say? Like, I'm not, if you listen to my story nine times out of ten, the person I'm actually making fun of is me. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> like, it had nothing to do with anybody else in the story. Like, I'm the one in the messed up situation. Right. I'm the one that's doing this. But it's like, because you got to go through them errors. And that's, and I want you to understand, like, this is how I seen it. Like, this is from my point of view. And mm. I want you to understand the feeling of them. So, that, like, those things matter. Like, I want you to know. Like there's certain things about this, how I thought what was yeah. going on. Like no. <laughs> well, I've always identified with the storytellers as well. Like uh, my, some of my most listened to uh, comedians are storytellers. Um, I'm not sure I've seen enough of Bernie Mac's material to to know if he is uh, a big time storyteller or, or joke teller. You want What's know? your take on? It? Yeah, tell me. Tell me you about your influences. If you want to know a set of Bernie Mac, to understand if you do stories or not, <laughs> Milk and Cookies. Okay. <laughs> Go look at Kings of Comedy, Milk and Cookies, and he yeah. talk about a story about his, he, the, the whole entire story from the time he got the kids to the time he told them he don't want them giving them Milk and Cookies. It's the most epic story I ever heard in my entire life. Bernie Mac was my mom's favorite comedian. She loved Harrison Bernie Mac. 
And when I was younger, she always used to, my mom's old school. So it's like, she's a lot older than what people expect her to be. So she used to say old words all the time. She's like, go get a tape when she's talking about DVD. <laughs> like, oh, that's not a tape, mom, but this is one. Oh, go, play my, go play my CD when she's doing like, but it's not. Like, right. Go play my cassette tape. She's like, no, mom, this is all on CDs now. It's all this. Like, my mom strictly old school. She's not updating her she's terminology not updating for her terminology anybody. For anybody. <laughs> Like, if you transgender, don't go speak to my mom. Like yeah, she, don't, she, get, she don't know what pronouns it would call you, so you may get hit with an it. <laughs> and, just, and that's not, and that's not even prepared. trying to be disrespectful. That's just, that's just how she is. So, she used to tell me to go always get stand-up videos, man. And Bernie Mac, like, Bernie Mac is a heavy influence on me, man. Like, yeah. I love Bernie Mac. I think Bernie Mac is one of the most slept-on comedians that people have missed out on. Like, people still alive to this day. Steve who? <laughs> like that's that's honestly how I feel yeah. about it. Like out of the kings of comedy, Bernie Mac was the man, and and I was always to a lot of Bernie Mac, a lot of Bernie Mac, just because my mom listened to him a lot. And then my brother introduced me to Dave Chappelle, <laughs> and that right there, man, that was like a that was like a spark in my mind. It was like yo, because he thought the same things I was thinking. I was like, I never. I never, <laughs> I never couldn't, fucking, I never couldn't put the pieces together. But why I feel this way? And then I watched Killing Them Softly, and I was like, Yo, this is exactly what I'm trying to say to people. Like, <laughs> and it's just and Dave Chappelle, I love Dave Chappelle, man. Love him. Like that's, like, if he's when he come down to me, like I would love to have the Bernie Mac personality, the Bernie Mac charisma, and all that. But the Dave Chappelle wits, Dave Chappelle mind, and how he thinks, man, that was beautiful and that's why I was like yo my style of comedy I want I don't know I don't think I have a style I think it would just be myself and I <laughs> but if you had to put it in there you were like yo he tells stories but he's smart <laughs> and that's all I want I want people to feel that way like he tells stories but he's a smart G got some smart jokes and that's that's all I want that's I want people to feel like they can relate, relate to me regardless if you work a nine to five making $7.50 an hour and any CEO out there in the world. Like I want to make that connection. And that's another reason why I don't do like strictly black rooms or strictly white rooms neither. Cause my material ain't all black. My material ain't all white. Comedy isn't a black or white thing. This is a comedy. Everybody laugh at something from some point of view. Mm -hmm. So, Well you talked about perspective and, and how how being original is uh, not so much a matter of style or genre, but finding, find, you know, finding a way to be original. And, and you talked about how coming out of the hospital and coming out of that whole event changed your perspective. What, what did your perspective look like on both sides of that? <laughs> Life, um, you got all the time in the world before. Before I got in the hospital, you have all the time in the world. It doesn't matter. Do this. Do this a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Do the bare minimum. Do the things that everybody expects for you to do. Do the do the things. You know what I'm saying? I, I, at this time, I'm like, what, 19, 18 years old? I'm on, I told I had made my life goals already. I'm like, I'm going to join the military, which I did. I was going to move to Florida, which I did. I was going to be the girl of my dream, which was my high school sweetheart, which she was in South Southern Florida State going to that school, so she's living two hours away. So we still spending time together. I'm going to get married to her, have some kids about 28, have my life by 30. Fine. 19 years old on my deathbed. And then everything changed. Got out of the hospital. My ex-girlfriend, she's an ex for a reason. <laughs> we broke up shortly after that. And I, during this whole time, at the time of my life, 
I'm at a the roughest time in my life, and you can't be there to support me. So now that put this perspective on me and women. Now, okay, uh, money, money coming across. Like now, now people start hanging me up for money because I'm in the military. You know, I got to check. So I'm like, okay, cool. At first, I'm giving the money out. Then when I get out the military, oh man, now my now my phone don't ring anymore, and nobody come, nobody's there to talk to me. <coughs> So you start understanding that like, some people just want to use you. So that's another perspective that you get in life. And then all these little perspectives taught me that, you know what, it doesn't matter if you can make everybody around you happy. If you're not happy, then what's the point of doing it? And then I magically got on stage and I found out how, and before the stage, I was drinking a lot. Because like, what else did I have to do? I would get drunk. And then I started working the night times, clubs and stuff. And I wasn't able to drink no more. And I really started seeing how stupid that was from being drunk all the time. I was like, yeah, that was crazy. That's, that gave me a different demeanor. And then I got on stage and fell in love with it. And I was like, this is, this is natural. This is what happiness feel like. And that what made me persuade comedy more. And that's why I do my perspective about things. Like, a lot of times when people, like, a lot of time on stage, I even tell people, like, I don't really care. Like, it's, I figure out, like, either going, if it doesn't affect me now, then it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like, at the end of the day, if you're not happy with yourself, only you can change that. Yeah. It doesn't matter what anybody else think or do. So, that was the mindset that I walked into because of the getting out of the hospital thing. What's going on? Was it recording? Yeah, so the way this recording is set up is it at 30 minutes it takes a break because it's battery operated. Oh, okay. So I just reset it in between Jeez. thoughts so okay. I didn't miss some of what you were saying. But mm. you were saying <clears throat> coming out of coming out of that and having a perspective that was a little bit fresher, a little bit less clouded. And, um, because you know, growing up, everybody yeah, yeah. puts you in this bubble, you know what I'm saying? Like, I lived there in the, that millennial, I had the broke version of it, <laughs> I had the millennial bubble, you know what I'm yeah. saying? That everything's gonna matter, you know what I'm saying? Your, your life, everything that you do, you know, all them little millennial things, mm -hmm. and then all that crashed down before I was age of 20. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. so it's literally like, okay, now I'm a ghost walking around here, just clueless for the next pretty much three years of what's going on in life and then you find once you find your purpose it's like okay and then as you it was so weird for me to to freaking do a weekend show like literally spend friday saturday and sunday doing stand-up doing the thing i love and then going to work on monday morning to go sell diamonds and stuff that i don't even believe in love like this is, and I thought that was the dumbest thing ever, man. So I was like, why do I keep doing this? And that's insanity. That's insane, man. It was just, I'd rather be happy. I would much rather be happy. I'd rather be poor and happy than rich and stupid. Rich and angry. Mm, yeah. My goal yeah. now is to just make enough of a teacher's salary and telling jokes, and I'll be perfectly fine. That's... You may be asking for a lot <laughs> from what I hear. Oh, yeah. You know, it's small goals. I hope, not. <laughs> I hope teacher salary is doable, but yeah, just yeah. in case. No, there's people that, that you can, if you can make it. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's doable. It, it's doable. It's uh, doable. I worry about me being able to pull it off uh, eventually. Uh, you you got this covered. You're fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell everybody again uh, where, where to... Uh, Where to look you up? Find the plugs, and then I'll ask you the deep philosophical shit. Oh, the deep philosophical shit. You brought it up. 
there we go. Uh, nah, this is easy with me right now. It's the simplest thing you can do is just go to YouTube and type in JJ Curry. That's JJ from Good Time and Curry like the chicken. And then you'll pull me up every time. Like, it's a picture of me wearing... Don't watch any of the earlier stuff, though, because I didn't want that great just then. But anything that say 2016 and on, come holler at me. <laughs> so you were saying that uh, the reasons that we're here, you know, and the reason that, that you get up in the mornings is to tell comedy, tell jokes, and to, to do stand-up comedy, and that what it is to be happy and to be yourself and to be original and... I, I'm a firm believer in that, uh, that originality. Being, your, if, if we aren't here to do anything but be ourselves, then what in the hell could we possibly be here for? Because exactly. the only thing you can do is be you, right? Exactly. So I know how I came to, to think that, and that's pretty much what you were saying as well. That's just my version of what you were saying. Do you think about how you came to that, that belief and, and that philosophy, that happiness lies in, in self-knowledge? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's part of the all part of that same story. Yeah, it came out of that it moment, just like that. that. All them, those, that was no the, sitting the, in meditation. No, no meditation, no nothing. No nothing. It was literally I was, <laughs> just in that moment. It was I was not not all at once, but it was literally like I spent a lot of. I, I'm I'm super private. Uh, like a lot mm -hmm. of people don't like you. You ask some of the Pensacola comedians, like they know me, but they don't really know me. Like that's well, that would be mostly anybody because I'm super private, man. I, a lot I really do. I'm an introvert. I'm an outgoing introvert. <laughs> like I'll go out and party with you all day and night, but you be like, oh, what you doing tomorrow? Like chilling. Like it's just <laughs> and that's just me, man. It's just and I always been like that, so. A lot of times, man, during that time frame, man, it's, it's a, it was a lot of time with me and some headphones and drinking. <laughs> it was just, and it was just like, this this ain't it. This yeah. is not it. This is not it. This got to be a happier. It got to be more than this. And then got into, like, really got into, like, people, like, achieving dreams and doing the stuff that they want to do. Mm -hmm. It was just like, why can't I? Like, what do I want? And I never knew. I, for, for them years, man, I did not know what did I want to do. You couldn't ask me, oh, you want to be a teacher? Nah. Like, even growing up as a kid, I didn't have a didn't have a goal. <laughs> it was like, oh, what you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, nah, I'm straight. And then, like, elementary school, what you want to be? I don't know yet. Okay, you're fine. Don't worry about it. You got all the time in the world. Middle school, what you want to be? I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's fine. You got all the time in the world. High school, what you want to be? I don't know. I ain't got to start making some kind of decision, man. <laughs> well, that's where that's where I disagree, and that, or at least that's where I fell off the wagon because people told me that, and and I got I got kind of upset. I came from uh, I came from a situation where I had a lot of people trying really hard in my best interest to figure out how to help me achieve things in school, mm -hmm. and not realizing that that was the wrong way to to go about helping me, and so I was at odds for a long time with. The educational system and and was not intentionally but came away from that feeling like significantly less than like i was just stupid and would always be stupid and uneducated and etc 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 so when i had that same revelation when i grew up and looked around as the joke goes and realized holy shit the adults don't know shit either <laughs> yeah, yeah for real like, so, so that's when i started taking a long hard look going all right well what does it take to be happy and you mentioned you know not being happy and and going to work on mondays and I see it in a very utopian way. Like I don't think we're here to, to be under the fluorescent lights. And I would love for there to be a way for us to tell jokes all you know all week long. What does your version of that look like? 
Uh, not my 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 glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nirvana. My whatever Nirvana, you want to call it. My Nirvana. Uh, my Nirvana. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, man, if I can, I would love to get on stage seven days a week. Getting on stage alone is like one of the most peaceful time ever. But I also want to be able to like, if I want to take a week off. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about stressing over mm. like cash and stuff like that. I live a very, very minimal life anyway, as is. Like, I don't need fancy stuff. I don't need anything like that. So I don't care for it. Like, I grew up poor. And it was not one of the things that I was trying to get an achievement from. <laughs> yeah. So that and then like seven days a week, if I can get on stage seven times, if I can get a, a huge show every week, that would be awesome. I won't mind being on the road for seven months, just yeah. traveling different places and stuff like that. And then I just then after all that, all the publication, let me get my last three months in the country of Georgia where I can go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> I can go fishing with swipe mosquitoes off around my neck, go eat some pig feet and chitlins, and not have anybody judge me for being country. Like this, I I just got done driving off a dirt road, so I I know exactly what you mean, man. I. Love being out in the country. Did you do a lot of stargazing out in the country? When we were talking I, about UFOs earlier, and yeah, I'm bringing it back to um, So when I lived in, uh, we lived in this place called the Nanio in Danville, Georgia, yeah. which is like the sub part of the hood. <laughs> there weren't that many lights out there, so as a kid, we always go outside nice. and watch trees and like trees and stuff. I remember going outside, looking past the fence, and seeing deers. Cool. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Bunch of stars and bunch of stuff like that. They would move to Dudley, which just had the lights and all that. So the st- trees, the light. I mean, we still have some stars, but wasn't as many as possible. But my favorite thing to do now is literally like when I go home to Georgia, I always leave at night so I can drive back. Yeah. Because I cut through, I go through towns and stuff. So small, small towns, not that many street lights and stuff like that. And it's literally the sky is the most beautiful thing nice. at night. I love this. I love going to the beach at night because it's so peaceful. And mm-hmm. The skies and the sun, the moon is so beautiful when it's full. Right? Like people don't understand that the full moon is the best right. sightseeing ever, man. I'm a big nighttime person, man. Did you uh, Did you see the solstice, the eclipse? Yeah, yeah. I try yeah, to watch it. I try to. I was at work. So, oh, but so I ain't have any. Yeah, I didn't get to watch the full eclipse of it. But if I, that's another thing. I know it's coming back. What next year? I think soon. It's, or, it's in, well, there's one in 2025, and there's one in 20. It's some coming. It's one yeah. is soon. Yeah, the next one, the one but in 2025 in the is in America. Yeah, and the other, the one the that's one, coming the soon is like, is like swiping south? in the middle. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. But you're right. There is one sooner than 2025. Yeah. So that's yeah, my right. goal is to make it to that one and actually go to where it's actually going to be a total eclipse. Cool. Like, that's what I have a small I have, I have a small goal. I want to be able to go there and literally go to where that eclipse is going to be a total eclipse there and watch it. Like, I'm just, yeah. wherever city or town they're going to go through, man. Yeah, I, I was here too. Uh, I didn't get to go see the last full eclipse, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of cloud cover yeah. where I was. And so I got to take a couple of peaks, mm-hmm. with, you know, and as a bad idea without the glasses. But yeah. uh, I had, had my little box set up so I could see the, you know. <laughs> see, the, I didn't know how to set the box up. I, I skipped that class. I didn't, I went, I didn't like Google, art class. Man. <laughs> I didn't like art class as a kid. So anytime it involved me trying to do some artistic stuff, it's not happening. Like, it's like, oh, you got to do some scissors? Nah, never mind. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My art is not in my hands. No, no, no more we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I get the silver tongue, not the green yeah. thumb. Nah, yeah. Not at all. I don't know. I'm a great botanist. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, mean, I grow what some tomatoes. 
What? Yeah. Now I want a BLT. Yeah. Shit. Got me some How tomatoes. How long did tomatoes? Oh, oh was, we had tomatoes and stuff, like little farmers, like little garden and stuff back in the country. I wish I had a guitar. I'd sing. There's a song called Homegrown Tomatoes that my friend wrote. Yeah, I don't know that one. But <laughs> it's, well, yeah. It's, it's, your friend wrote it. Yeah, my friend wrote it. Yeah, it's not a, not a big, big song, but it's hilarious. Yeah, tomatoes here and there. My grandfather's huge on this stuff. Like, we didn't eat, uh, for the longest time, I don't think we ever bought greens. You just go to his garden. Well, and so then you wait until the middle of winter to move away, so you can't bring me any tomatoes. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Well, dude, like, my tomatoes were like they went huge, and then like they were just like little bitty ones. That doesn't matter. It's okay, dude. She said it's the motion <laughs> in the ocean. Motion in the ocean. Saw <laughs> that matter, guys. Saw that matters. The motion. Oh, we were told Mediums a lot. Mediums matter, man. Mediums matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the bell curve. <laughs> Averages for a reason. Yeah. Uh, sad. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think of how to get away from this really quickly. Back to the UFOs. Right. <laughs> I never should have brought it up. Yep. Um, when it comes to aliens, I believe in aliens. And I don't like. I'm not. I'm not a person that go research it crazily. But yeah. I'm like, yo, like there's this uh, asteroid right now that's like a really shaped. Yeah, the so long, been, yeah the long one or whatever. I've been reading, I've been, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I've been watching. I've been keeping up with that one, trying to see what's going on with that. <laughs> what have you found out? Oh, uh, nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing, oh, nothing, nothing. I can be like, oh, that was interesting. Like, oh, or it's just really smooth, and there's no chance of hitting Earth. Uh, right. Probably not gonna hit Earth, and uh, I. They think that because of its oblong shape, that it is not from the standard kinds of impacts that we would associate with our solar system. Like it's probably from Whatever something universe. much older uh-huh. and from something much more cataclysmic for it to be that shape. Oh. And that it would have been ejected into just the space outside of a solar system or something during that event and that's the reason that it's oblong or it could be aliens and uh and they just run around right and they just made it that shape it could have one or two and they didn't have any uh, heat detection because they don't have warm blood well you never know you never know maybe they're just fungi got a question for you okay do you think do you think the world is ready for aliens do i think the world's ready for aliens do you think america can sell aliens yeah i don't you don't think so? I don't think so. We you can't think, even deal with people with different colors. You think that <laughs> <laughs> go full Orwell? Yeah. Like, we can't even deal with people with different colors. Like, what are we going to do when we find out this person ain't even the same, don't even have the same organs as us? Like, yeah. <laughs> See, I think, I think uh, I always default to Tommy Lee Jones and Men in Black. He said, a person is smart. People are dumb, panicky animals. And so I think if... If you if you confront people with shit, then then they'll get over it, and that gets into history, like like how we have as a species survived all these cataclysms that the world's been through before. Mm-hmm. But the likelihood that humanity's been here for a really long time, you know, I'm I'm really fascinated by history. And, I love history because yeah. history is like one of the things that you can't like. I love history. That was like one of the school subjects. Like yo, I don't even. I've been watching History Channel all week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah? I was watching some, like, uh, Sumerian stuff. The, the Sumerian tablets uh, is what, what I've been into lately. What have, See, what have I, you followed? I've been, uh, I've, lately, I've been this whole Black Lives Matter thing. I've been watching the, the slave 
the slave trade is going on. Which part of it? Like the, 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 they just found out like the whole part of their like, hey, you know, there's a slave trade going in Libya. But like, oh, really? And then how to like how they keep getting these people, these people that are escaping from barriers and stuff like that. How they are undocumented and like nobody's trying to do anything. Like that's it just blows my mind. It's like, yeah, how can we treat other humans like this? Like, still, this, still to still. this day, and that like it's okay. That's another reason why I'm like this is like even with the stuff that's going on in America, like the, the political. Like I try my best not to be political, like as much as possible, because mm-hmm. I feel like that's just a touchy subject. And like sometimes, man, I get stuck in the mood where I, I can just feel it, and it's yeah. so hard not to say anything. But y'all just don't. Understand. I get angry, man. Oh, when I get angry, and my mouth just follow the filters, and I gotta put myself in check sometimes. But I like to say, you know, I don't mind talking politics, but. I very rarely talk policy. Mm-hmm. What I I talk about ethics and, and values and okay, he kept going. Okay. <coughs> so so I talk about it from a just don't tell lies, don't be an asshole standpoint. You know, very much like Mark Twain, like anybody that can get themselves elected president doesn't deserve the office. That's the stance that I take. <laughs> yeah, anybody that can get themselves elected probably doesn't deserve that office. When he comes, even to, even off not just president. Ooh political parties I'm more like a George Washington yeah. I don't believe that we should have a, uh, a a common thread like I don't think all Republicans should just run the office I don't think all Democrats should just run the office mm-hmm. like I feel like we should vote for a vice president we should vote for president if you don't like the president being a Republican vote for a vice president that's a Democrat yeah I don't remember the last time or if we ever separated George Washington. those two out George Washington only suggested one. that he was the only one that they, they actually did, did that with. They did it with him, and he had. Because um, uh, I'm trying to remember. John, John Adam. Then John Adam, vice president, was mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And after Thomas Jefferson, that's when the. the they the, appointed the, the, the him. He was like, nope, this, the Whigs and the Democrats. I trust you, and I can't think of any exception to it. And that's. Uh, yeah, that would be so much better. Because, right, I mean, you look at some of the situations where the vice president has been involved and, you know, uh, it's it's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the Dick Cheney was never vetted as a vice president. Like, he was part of Bush's campaign mm-hmm. and then was vetting all these people to be vice president. Somebody messed up something big time because I've seen four or five nice. roll through there. Cold sign, baby. Mm. Man, we are not the coolest thing on the block tonight. <laughs> I'm fine with that, man. I, I don't want to be that kind of cool. trying to avoid anything to do with cops right? right now. This is this is the part of the Black People movie that the dude get either locked up or something happened <laughs> right before he leave the hood. Like, it's just, right? No, <laughs> my podcast is not gonna not gonna become that. <laughs> no, I'm trying my best, guys. I'm trying. trying my best to make it to Temple. I got two more weeks left, <laughs> and there they go again. Man, I hope everybody's okay. Yeah. That's sad. Because when it gets that's when get that crazy, a problem. Yeah. And that's something that we don't have to talk about politics. We can talk about values and ethics and, and morals and talk about how the police state has gotten problematic. I see more undercover cop cars now than I see regular marked cars. Yeah. And there's that's just subversive. Mm-hmm. You're not protecting people by keeping secrets. They're not protecting and, people. Well, harass and intimidate is what my <laughs> friend likes to say, and I agree with him. You know, over there in Orange Beach, close to where I live, mm-hmm. there are a lot of cops, and uh, and it's that's where the song, what the song is about, is about uh, the tomato song. 
No, different <laughs> artist. Okay. <laughs> but the song is about Orange Beach and Gulf Shores and as a community having way more police officers and that it's to the point now where they harass and intimidate. Yeah. And like, that's the song. <laughs> I won't mention any names or anything, but that's, uh, you know, yeah, like, that's a legit thing. And, thing so, and that's not even today. Yeah. That was years ago. And no. it's only gotten worse. It's, that's the thing about it, man. It's like uh, when you bring up, it's like people believe that, you can you believe that it can be bad comedians? Of course. Okay, do you believe they can be bad teachers? Of course. Do you think they can be bad employees anywhere? Well, yeah, yeah. Everything's okay, a bell cool. curve. There's always exceptions. There's okay. some good ones in this. There's some good ones in the right, right. right. People don't believe that cops can be bad. Well, I, who? Like, that, these people are delusional. That's and the, it's not just their yeah. and that and, and that's their argument to, like, why black people are like, well, you guys, you no. black people are just upset with cops. I'm like, no, there's just our bad cops. We're not, I'm like, you guys are saying police. I'm like, no. We just say the bad ones, all right? And you know what? You know what the difference between a bad one and a good one? A bad one will do all the crooked stuff. You know, you think a person, but if he sit, if another cop sit there and watch him and doesn't say anything and know that this is wrong, and but he doesn't do anything, he's just as bad as the good one. He's just as bad as the dude doing the crime. Yeah. So like, yeah. until the cops, you want the cops won't. In the black community, cops want black people to police each other. But y'all don't need police each other. Y'all need to police each other. So y'all don't police yourself. How y'all gonna expect us to police yourself? Right. So, yeah, like, who watches the watchman? Yeah. You know, there has to be some legitimate authority. Somebody mm -hmm. has to be responsible. And, and it's not just police. Uh, it's, uh, I think, that same issue of not being responsible to each other mm -hmm. and, and holding each other accountable is part of the the whole sexual abuse Me Too movement. Oh, yeah. Because for so long, people, people knew about stood this around and knew about it. Right. And uh, I was talking, I was talking to my girlfriend earlier. We were talking about being passive aggressive and what it means to be passive aggressive. And and I have kind of a warped view of passive aggression, but it falls into like blackmail and in, in in what passive aggression can actually be and and gets real ugly. And I think the term has been overused and, mm -hmm. and desensitized where it should be right up there with you know fucking the worst the worst I just I was I was raised by a single mother so she taught me if anything she taught me one thing about women if you gotta force it don't do it yeah like that's way past don't do it yeah <laughs> don't do it don't, if you gotta sit down if you gotta feed her drinks to to get her in your room then don't do it yeah that's don't only gonna be it. bad and this lack of accountability on the back end you know the rapist that they let out of jail like six months after oh of course like this the lack of accountability in our culture has just gotten ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and that's what i think it comes down to you know you can be passive aggressive you can get away with being extremely passive aggressive in the absence of authority and we've lost andy griffin you know, to go back to the cops, yeah. the one guy that didn't carry a gun, mm -hmm. you know, we, we've lost what it is to protect But at the same time, Andy know? Griffin knew the neighborhood and knew how it felt to be in that place. Now, you got Part people of the living, community. Yeah, you got people that go to work in the community that don't even know the first house on the corner name. Right. <laughs> I don't even know about the Robinsons. I don't know anything about these people living in this area. Mm -hmm. But you're going to patrol it. Like, of course you don't know that black kid live here. And the first thing you <laughs> like, show up in SWAT gear, yeah. nobody wants to talk to you. you. <laughs> like, first thing you would do is hold a gun up against me, and I'm over here yeah. <laughs> letting my son walk home. Like, yeah. it's, it's And just, for uh, the record, we know that not all cops are bad. Like yeah. you were saying earlier, there's some that ruin it for everybody. Well, you know, but the atrocity, when the atrocities get so bad, it makes all of us look bad. The crazy you know? thing, the crazy thing about the whole cops thing is the reason why I say I can say it and I can feel that way because that's what I did when I was in the military. 
You were an MP? Yeah, I was an MP in the military. So, like, I understand. I understand the situation that everybody go through and all the calls they go through. But at the same time, man, like, I'm not saying. It got, you can't, what uh, what the number is now? Like, yeah, over 200 people got shot by, on uh, uh, people have been shot by cops this year? I wouldn't. Like, I, 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 don't I, I don't even know. We're not even going to talk about the numbers but it is up there it's it's it high. should be zero it's, it's <laughs> and it's high. not it's a high number to be up there and the fact that like none all of them we can pretty much get off and not have to worry about anything it's like no this should be a consequence this yeah this six-year-old the six-year-old yeah. that got shot in a trailer because officers were firing in his home mm-hmm. because they were in a firefight with somebody else on another property six-year-old dead in his own home <laughs> like when no one and you hate to see someone make a mistake mm-hmm. and it costs them the rest of their life. But there comes a point when payment must be rendered, you know? Okay. And, and there has to be some and justice whole, somewhere. The whole, and then what does justice look like? The whole payment thing, like, oh, if wrong that somebody can do it, have an accident and ruin their life. Well, there are people that got drunk one time and decided to get on stage or decide to drive home and kill somebody and they're in jail for the rest of their life for a vehicle manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Same thing, man. You got to have, if you don't have any consequences, then you don't care about anything. Right. And, and and I think that's one of the things that I like about the information age coming. You know, you see uh, in police and law enforcement body cams and, and other evidence and people taking videos. And so if more and more information is bringing more and more truth to light, that's mm-hmm. helping more and more situations. The best thing about the camera was going back to the whole, because um, <clears throat> I like history, I like going back, especially with black history. The the NWA, the police, people got furious about that song. They mm-hmm. were mad because of that song because Ice Cube said the police harassed and beat black people. And nobody that watched, they heard that song could believe it. They were like, that's impossible. That's, oh, that's yeah. a disrespectful yeah. song. You shouldn't do that, do that, blah, blah, blah. A year later, they quit doing the song. A year later, there's a video going out of them being Ronnie King. And then everybody's in shock, like, why, what, what? what? Mm-hmm. You're like, how long they've been doing this? And like, obviously for a long time, because Ice Cube literally just said, right. they've been doing this for years. Yep. And it's, and that, that's the thing that you need to come to like, like you can get mad. Black people aren't just paranoid. <laughs> like, no, right. <laughs> people think things for a reason. It may be, some of them may be fucked up reasons, mm-hmm. but everybody thinks everything for yeah, a reason. for a reason. There's a and reason why. And if a why. bunch of people think the same thing, yeah, it's probably a good reason. <laughs> I was like, why do all of them say that? Like, well, why? <laughs> because they had a meeting and they got together and they <laughs> passed out. These are the lies yeah. we're going to tell cards. It was an accident. Yeah, it goes yeah. to the fire truck. There's another mm. cop car right there. Mm. Yeah, man. It's a... Yeah, man, it's just like that—that's the stuff that made me question. Like, that's—that's that's the kind of stuff I be trying to make jokes about. I'm like, how can I make you? How can I paint that picture as a joke for you to understand? <laughs> like, yeah, like the concept of what's going on. That's when I was like, that's when I like I love Dave Chappelle because he did things like that. But he told, he brought truthful stuff and able to sit in joke in order for you to understand yeah. what he was talking about. And, yeah. that's, and that's how I try to get through all my material. Like, I try to make jokes that way. Like, how can I say this true as statement and tell a joke about it? Right. <laughs> and make you laugh. And make you laugh <laughs> about it. And then when you get home and think about it, you're going to be like, ain't hey, about right. <laughs> Funny and smart. <laughs> smart. Tell stories. But a smart-ass comedian. <laughs> right. That's all I want, man. It's literally the golden comedy. Hell yeah, man. Well, our battery is about to die, so we're going to uh, we're going to call we're going to call it for the moment. But I think fifty three minutes is a good teaser. Man, a good teaser. We'll call this part one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you on tape now.
please come back and let's do this again. Oh, of course. We're just getting started. Oh, of course, man. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Fuck yeah. I'll All let right. you know when I get back in town and stuff like that. I'll definitely eat yeah. you up. Like, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to. Oh, the temple? Yeah. I'm oh, gonna, fuck yeah. My, I might as well. Got Once it. you get down there and get in, I'm going to come mm-hmm. move off of you. Again. You can't. Matt Williams is <laughs> going to be on there with us. Hell yeah. Uh, plug wise, before we shut down the Facebook Live for anybody checking us out on the replay, uh, Back Porch Comedy. Um, Open mic tonight. Tuesdays and Fridays at the Paul Fox and Cervantes Days in Friday night, my last show here. So come out. So yeah, come check that out. It's going to be a really good time. Um, other than that, I can't think of much else. So Facebook Live. See you later. Peace. In that, there goes that one. Let's see, the recording's still going, so for those of you checking this out on YouTube, we'll uh, string all this together later, so thanks for joining us. Peace to y'all. And for the final sign-off, Truth, Love, and Peace, episode 14 with J.J. Curry. Yay. Been a fucking pleasure, man. Yeah, good this talk, is gonna be man. awesome, man. Can't wait, can't wait to do it again because oh, yeah. we're just barely getting started, man. We barely scratch the surface, man. Just, yeah. We on, we only hit that first block of the scratch off. That's right. <laughs> Truth, love, and peace. <laughs>